And if you've got the Bible that's underneath the seat, it's page 570. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of, of God the Father. This is the reading of God. Thanks, Drew and Monica. Hey, 35 kids last week. That's really awesome. Thank you, church, for responding so well. Um, I think we can give that a round of applause really quick. It's exciting to launch our first uh, formal missional global missions partnership with NRN. It was just encouraging to hear from former missionaries last week, uh, to see you all respond, to be excited about being involved in that. So thank you. Uh, and there's more opportunity to continue to do that. If you haven't, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't hear about our partnership with NRN, get on the website, check it out. If you still want to sponsor a kid, but you didn't have the opportunity, you have the chance to do so. Uh, just email somebody on staff, and, and we'll get you connected. Uh, my name is Grant, and I am one of the pastors here at SOMA. And today we continue our Advent series on global missions. I think with Christmas just a couple days away, it's really fitting that we look at Philippians chapter 2. Um, we've talked about what mission is and how it, how it happens, and we've heard some, from some missionaries in their experience on mission, but today I want us to look at the role of Christ. What was the role of Christ in the mission of God? Why did he come? How did he come? Um, and what does it mean for us? I think we're going to see, as we look through the text, I think we're going to see a couple things. I think we're going to see that Jesus was the focal point of the mission of God and that he was the fulfillment of the mission of God. We'll see him do this in a way where he's united with the Father and he comes doing so in humility. A couple weeks ago, Brandon opened up our, our sermon series on global missions by defining mission for us. Uh, and he said, mission is this, making God's saving power known throughout the world the mission is making God's saving power known throughout the world. And we, believers, are to live as missionaries in the world, right, with joy in response to God's presence and power in our own lives. Uh, after he set this up, he also talked about how we can get mission twisted, though, right? This is a, this is a great thing, but, but our selfish ambition, our pride, our own agenda, a desire to bolster our own image can get in the way. And we can twist it. And in doing so, we can falsely represent the nature of God and falsely mi misrepresent the gospel. 
Uh, so I'm sitting there a couple weeks ago, and if I'm honest, like, as one of your pastors, this just really convicted me. Like, I, I, <laughs> I couldn't hear what Brandon said anymore. Um, I just started, like, thinking back to my own church planting experience, my own experience working in the church, my own experience on missions overseas, and I started to remember the ways in which uh, my own selfish ambition uh, kind of twisted God's mission, got in the way. My sinful nature was competing with the things that I think God was wanting to do in and through us. Um, I'll give you an example. The, uh, the second church that I interned for um, Loved the gospel. It was a church plant. It was young. It was a lot like Soma. It was growing. It loved its city. It wanted to make an impact. Uh, we regularly talked about like what we were going to do to bring people in the doors, to get people here so that they could hear the gospel and respond and experience transformation in their life. Um, and we were just excited. We would do anything that we could do to, to do that. So we started going to this monthly conference uh, from a former megachurch pastor called like Two Years to Double. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, ready doesn't sound good. Um, <laughs> and we went every month. Um, and, man, we talked about, like, we talked about pens, right? Like, we, we literally spent, like, 20 minutes one night, like, reviewing the pens that people brought. Like, so you probably can find one in the gallery with, like, the Arsoma logo on it. And we'd be like, man, is it comfortable? You know, like, how well does it write? Because this idea that, like, you know, a pen has a great shelf life and people put it in their purse and if they really like it, they're going to keep using it and they might invite it, hand it to somebody else who men may come to your church because you handed them a pen. It's like, okay, uh, we, maybe. And we talked about the connect process and, like, how the connect process has to be just perfect and streamlined. And we talked about these things called big days. Big days were Sundays where we just pulled out all the stops, right? We literally, and I quote, we did anything short of sin to get people in. We said that, like, regularly. Um, and so <laughs> on a big day, like, one of my favorites uh, was just, like, this NFL-themed thing. And so, man, we had tailgating in the parking lot. Like, you walked in, there was cornhole, there was a drum line, there was popcorn. We got an NFL pastor to come in, or an NFL player to come in and tackle our pastor on stage. Um, we gave away TVs, like... I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> it was awesome. And, and the cool thing was, like, people were excited because, like, it, church was different, you know? Like, that is not church every Sunday. And people wanted to invite their friends because they're like, look, we're crazy. But they, they heard the gospel. Uh, people responded, came back, and got baptized, which is incredible. But here, here's the problem is in the office after that, during the week, like, the metrics started to become more important than the mission. And, and if, our, if we didn't meet our goals, it wasn't good enough, right? And we started caring a little too much about how significant we were in that effort. And when we started hearing about the church down the street that was bigger, it was doing better, right? You'd notice some bitterness that would come in. We would just say, like, sharp things about their staff team or about, like, the way they were doing it because it just seemed like they were having more status or success, right? We had lost focus of the main thing. The gospel, the main thing was no longer the main thing. We cared too much about our own ambition, about how what God was doing could bolster uh, our own image. And so we, we experience this in other ways, right? Like uh, if you haven't worked for a church, um, you know, you, uh, you, you serve, you go on a short-term mission trip or, 
or you, do, you serve, or you have a care effort, or you, we talk about justice, and you get all excited, and you, know, and you, and you post it on social media, and, uh, or you post a picture from your trip, and that's not bad, but like, you maybe do it in a way that's just a little too excited for the response that you're going to get in return, right? Because like, you're, you're happy about what you did, like God, God moved, but you just, you just want other people to see that you did it, right? Like, look at, look at my opinion on justice, or look at this care that I did, or look at this sacrifice that I made, or we go on short-term mission trips, um, and again, short-term mission trips aren't in themselves bad, but maybe we do it in a way where there's not a, an established, ongoing, long-term partnership, where we're empowering locals and just doing things that make a difference in the long run, right? And we kind of go in a way where we feel good about what we did for a short period of time, and we're reminded of all that we have and how blessed we are, right? Um, but there's, there's nothing else. Like, we kind of leave and there's this void. And maybe we're doing more harm than we're doing good. Uh, Maybe you've caught yourself daydreaming about the platform. Maybe, maybe you've been at a ministry event and you've wondered just like, man, what would it be like if I was singing on stage? Or like, what, what if I was the one who was preaching or teaching or leading or had my own ministry or my next nonprofit, right, that people came to? Wouldn't it be great if I was the mature one, if I was the one that had something to say and people wanted to listen to me? Maybe even so much so that like it became a thing and I could benefit from it financially. Um, or like, or in my example, we just catch ourselves saying critical things about other people, like other ministries, other, other Christians, other churches, like other good things that God is doing. And there's just this sense of strife within us that comes from this place of pride within our own hearts. So all this to say, um, these things in and of themselves aren't bad, but they're just examples of selfish ambition, pride that can distract from the mission of God. And so Paul knew this, when he was writing to the church in Philippi, um, he, knew his, he knew our sinful nature. He experienced it himself, right? He had uh, seen examples of this in Corinth and in Galatia. And even now, as he's, in, he's writing from prison and he talks in chapter 1 about how there's people who are taking advantage of the fact that he's in prison to, like, to make their own ministry look successful, right? He talks about people preaching the gospel in false pretense or in truth. And he said... Look, like the former do it out of love, right, because they care, they want to continue the mission, but some people are just doing it because it's an opportunity for them. He said, it doesn't matter. Either way, Christ is being preached, but he's just experiencing this at the time. And so he's writing to Philippi, the church in Philippi, a church who's not really struggling at the time, but he just, he just it's really important. He said, hey, for the mission of God to go well, right, if we're to love one another well and model what we see in Christ, I want to remind you of some things in a friendly way. And so that's what he's doing. He sets up the, the, the letter in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, this is how you live a life worthy of the gospel. This is how you advance the gospel. This is how you live on mission in relationship with one another. And so as we work through the text, I think there's two things that I, I just want us to see as, as we go through. The first one is, is this. I want us to see Jesus as a servant. Paul wants us to see Jesus as a servant. He wants us to see uh, the way that Jesus came, humble, united with God the Father in obedience. And then secondly, um, to copy the example of Christ. Not very uh, complicated, pretty simple, always the right answer in church. All right, so I'm going to just really quick reread one through four. So, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The center of this idea is complete my joy by being like-minded. Apparently, it's one of the longest run-on sentences in the New Testament, um, which gives me comfort because my sermon script is full of grammatical errors and run-on sentences. Um, but he's, this, there's one verb in the middle. He's, he's saying, hey, complete my joy by being like-minded. What does he mean by being like-minded? Uh, he's saying, hey, be united. Cooperate together. Don't lose your individuality. It's not about just like not being who God created you to be, but use who God created you to be in a way that is aligned, working together for the good of others and the glory of God. Be on the same page like a, like a really good sports team, right? Like, don't you like love watching like some of the, the, the best teams just like perform in sync with one another, right? Like you have insanely talented people, differently gifted but who are working in symphony with one another to like perform something that's just awesome to watch, right? Like they're working together and no one's, no one's competing out of rivalry with their own team because that would defeat the purpose, right? But they're working together in a way using their individual gifts for the same common good. And in turn, the, this idea that Paul is sharing with us is that if we are to do that, if we're to love one another this way in our lives and on mission, we're actually reflecting the nature of God himself, because God is united. The, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are individual characteristics of God, aspects of God, working together for the common good and united with, in humility with one another. We see this in, in verse 1. Um, Paul kind of helps us uh, remind this. He, he's not questioning whether the church in Philippi has experienced the love of God. He's just asking them in a way to prompt us to, to remember the fact that we experience encouragement in Christ. We experience um, comfort from love, and, and by that he means the love of God the Father. Right? So we experience the love of God the Father and any participation in the Spirit. So there you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We experience the love of God in, in this way, differently from the Spirit, from the Son, from the Father, and we see how God is working together. And so if that's how God works, if that's how we experience him, we should love one another in the same way. Now, the opposite of unity is strife, right? So maybe a good way for us to check this is to just think and examine our hearts in relationship with one another when we're on mission. Like, where, where is there strife? If strife is the opposite of unity. It usually means that there's pride, right? It usually means that there's something within us competing for attention, wanting to make ourselves more significant, and conceit also, right, is another example of something not to do that's working against humility and unity. It's, uh, conceit is simply thinking of ourselves as way more important than we should, just like making ourselves too big of a deal, right? Uh, which is normal, like our culture, our world, like all week, right, everything and everyone is, is helping us and encouraging us to think this way, like to advance ourselves, to pursue our own agenda, to make our name great, to gather and, and use things around from others for our own advantage. And we love, to, we love to talk about it. We love to talk about how busy we are doing all these great different things, but maybe that is also just another form of pride, like look at how important I am. Look at how significant I am. Look at what I'm doing. Another example from my own life that's pretty embarrassing, um, 
is some of you know Ashley and I moved to Indy in 2012 to church plant, not with Soma, but uh, a different church the same time that Soma was planted. I met at Broad Ripple High School. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, I think there's way more vain conceit uh, in that story than I would like to to realize. I think in my own heart, in other leaders' hearts, um, we were really excited about planting a church and sharing the gospel and seeing the city change. Um, But I, I would daydream about there's this magazine called Outreach 100, and uh, Craig's laughing, he's a, yeah, he knows. Um, they, every year they issue this special thing called, like, the fastest growing churches, and I'm like, man, I, I wanted to be on it. Like, I wanted our church plant to be, like, the next mega church that blew up that you heard about, and, and I, you know, there's part of me that wanted, like, the attention and the praise that came from that, being associated with that, helping make it happen. It's so embarrassing to say, but like it was something I struggled with. And I know other people on our team, it's just their own selfish desires got in the way and the church ended up failing. And, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with our, our vain conceit, the way that, our, that we just thought of ourselves as more important than, than we should have. We lost focus from the main thing being the, the main thing. Thankfully, God's sovereign, right? And, and he was working and using it using us in the midst, despite our brokenness, right? And he continues to do that with us now. Um, but I just wish that it would have, would have been different uh, because these things just don't reflect God or the gospel the way that they're meant to do. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to do mission. We're supposed to love one another with humility. We're supposed to think of ourselves less. We're supposed to, to, to die to our desires and ambitions at the cost of other people's. John, Pastor John Mark Comer says it like this. I really like it. He says, pride is a mirror and humility is a window. Um, it's just a good visual for me to think about getting lost in the needs of others. Like literally seeing through myself, looking to the other people as more significant, as more important. Like seeing my family, seeing my friends, my coworkers, right? Seeing the immigrant, seeing the foreigner, seeing the oppressed. It would totally defeat my point of humility to give an example of myself. So I'm going to give an example of my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, Ashley double majored at Marquette. Uh, if you know her, um, she's incredibly bright, intelligent, gifted, likable. Um, and one of the things I've always loved about her is she just had big dreams for her life. She doesn't want to settle. She wants to do hard things. Uh, and her career and professional ambition was a big part of that. Um, when we moved here, she I got a job at the Y, and she got promoted through the ranks really quickly, and, uh, and then we had kids, and uh, now in addition to that, she is also a mom. Now, she's still pursuing her professional ambitions, but uh, I have to just say that, like, it's been at a cost to her, right? Like, she has started to love our family and our children in a way that is starting, is forcing her to put other people ahead of herself. And it's just, it's a sacrifice. It's hard. Like, I know she wouldn't do it any other way because she's just so lost in the needs of our family um, that she's just wanting to see us as more significant, to serve us in a way, even if it means that she doesn't get to go at the same pace that she did before. So naturally, we look to our own interests. And Paul's saying, if we can have the same level of concern for the others in our lives on mission for God, it's radical and people are going to see it. They're going to notice. And so then he gives us the, the best example he can in verses 5 through 11 when he talks about Christ and sends us back to seeing him as the focal point 
of the mission of God, the example that we're to copy. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's important to remember that at this time, um, this is a shame and honor society in Rome. Uh, shame is the thing that kept you up at night. It's the thing you wanted to avoid at all costs, and honor is what you sought, okay? Uh, some of the examples of the highest honor in the day were the heroic leaders, the, the kings, the, um, the emperors, like people all had known of Alexander the Great before who had done all this conquest, like his his status, his honor was to be considered so high that he was seen as divine, right? And currently at the time, uh, Nero was the Roman emperor, and he was a madman. He was barbaric, and he was persecuting Christians, but still he had this position of honor, and it's just, it's, you look at it and you see in the way in which he used his status. He used his honor for, at, for his own advantage, at the disadvantage of other people. If you didn't hail Nero as Lord, you were persecuted, Can you imagine, like, being a Christian at the time? Like, literally, the church in Philippi is meeting in secret, singing songs, proclaiming Christ as Lord, while out in the streets, like, the Roman guard is patrolling. That's crazy. So what what Paul is saying here in this text is completely countercultural. Not only is it exclaiming that Jesus is king, is the highest honor and divine, divine, but he's also redefining how honor is sought in the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of God of man. Uh, He uses this uh, word form, which simply means the the truest representation of the real thing, right? Uh, So he's saying that that before Christ came, Jesus was in the form of God. Like when we see Jesus, we we should see God. He was like that before he came as a human. And then he's contrasting it to the same word form again, referring to God as a servant, that Jesus also took the form of a servant. So when we're to look at Jesus, we're to see him as king, we're to see him equal with God. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, which is a big deal. Comparing it to the time of these kings and these rulers who used honor for themselves and their own advantage, we're saying that Christ is divine, and he actually uh, didn't count his equality and his honor as something to use for his own advantage, but we're going to see that he descends down in honor, right? He, per, he experiences shame for the glory of God, which is completely different than we're used to, right? If you, were a, if you were a noble person, if you were one of these Roman emperors, you didn't eat and hang out with, like, people who are lesser than you, right? You only gathered like-minded people. You had the best people over for dinner. You didn't associate with yourself. Uh, you didn't associate with anyone other than, like, someone who was like yourself. Uh, but we see Jesus, right, like, coming born in a trough like living in a common town among common people. Like the people, the relationships that he has, the people that are closest to him are fishermen, right? And he's like, he's touching, he's like healing unclean women. And and he's just like, he's doing miracles and he's showing up at dinner parties and like just making, providing miracles just so they have enough food or good wine to drink. Like, who is this guy? Like, why is he using his honor and his fame in a way that's so different than what we see at the time? Jesus Uh, talks about it himself in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Again, in John 10, 17 through 18, he says it like this. For the reason the Father loves me is because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It's important that we see Jesus equal to God. We see Jesus as God. We see him giving these things up of his own accord. Um, God was, Jesus is uh, omnipresent, right? Like he literally is present everywhere at all the time, but by taking on human form, he uh, was here in the flesh with us. He chose to dwell among us. Like um, uh, God is omniscient, right? He's all-knowing, but yet we see him like as a boy growing in wisdom and knowledge. He asks questions, right? He says things like, I don't know the day or the hour, but yet he continues in obedience in the will of his Father, showing us this form of humility that personally I think is just so winsome and overwhelming. I don't know about you, but when I look at the life of Christ, and I look at the fact that, that God himself took on human form as a servant, being born in the likeness of man um, to the point of death, even death on a cross, right, which is just, which is a big deal. Like, right, not only did, did he, this is, this is shameful. Like, not, it's just not something that any divine being would ever, would ever do, right? To, to do this in a way to be fully God and fully human just to show us his likeness and to restore us back to relationship with God. Like, the cross was a shameful thing. It was, like, completely undignified. You didn't talk about it, right, in normal conversation. It wasn't, it was the last thing that you wanted to think of or the last way that you wanted to go. And yet he does it willingly with humility. He is not giving up his divinity in doing any of this. Like as Jesus is coming and being obedient, obedient to the point of death on the cross, he is not losing his divinity. He's actually showing us what it means to be divine. This is the true representation of Christ. Jesus as a servant. Like Hebrews says, he endured the cross and scorned its shame, right? So that you and I can be restored to relationship with God. I love that. It just... It just makes me want to trust Jesus more, right? Like, and I, th- I would think the same for you. I think the same for others. Like, if you get to see the nature of God like this, don't you, aren't you more interested in what he has to say? Like, aren't you more willing to trust someone who's countercultural, who's putting our own needs before, someone up, before their own? So we see God, see Jesus as the focal point of God's mission, and we're to copy his example. We're to imitate it. The kingdom, you and I, should should foreshadow the king, should be a sweet aroma, should be an invitation to other people to see what the king is like and to hear what he has to say. Uh, I was on a mission trip in Ghana, and uh, one of the Campus Crusade staff we worked with, his name was Richard Bonsu, and, and in my mind, this guy will always be like the epitome of like hard work for the kingdom of God. Every morning he showed up, he was with us from morning till dusk, he greeted us like, hello, friends, with this big smile on his face every day. He just probably put in like 15, 16-hour days. He served as the local uh, crew guy. He was also, I found out, the director for the western region of Africa. And if that wasn't enough, like in his spare time, on his weekends, and his summers off, he's out giving Bibles to, and showing the Jesus film to rural vi- villages who didn't have access to those things. He's training pastors, giving them theologi- theological training. Um, He's definitely not the example of, like, rest and Sabbath. Uh, that's for sure. But I looked at this guy, and I was like, 
man, he, he really, not only does he really love Jesus, he's so bought in that he's just willing to disadvantage himself in this way for the advantage of other people, right? Like, I'm like, Richard, when do you rest? <laughs> he's like, well, a couple times a year, I get really sick, and uh, I go to the hospital, they give me an IV, I hang out for a couple days, and I go right back. Again, terrible example of rest and Sabbath, you know, but like, again, just that commitment, that joy, and he did it with joy, like he wanted to do these things, he wanted to give so much of himself, and I just, do you know people like that? Like, do you have anyone else in your life that you think of, you know? Like, these people are a sweet aroma, they're, they're a true representation of the king, right? Our lives should reflect the king in this way. I see it in our church. We talked about it just now. Like, I see people uh, with so many other good things to do, like going through training and giving up their time and their resources to house immigrant children. I see it on Saturdays when we're helping move in the homeless. Um, I see it a few weeks ago when, when people are, again, giving up more time to, like, to serve at a funeral, to set up, to, to clean up afterwards, to take, take meals to people in times of need, to clean their houses, right? When people are at their worst in their midst of the pain, pe- other people are stepping in, serving, counting their needs as more important. I see uh, people from our church taking their neighbors, non-Christians, to go get their cancer treatments and sitting with them through that. I could go on. The thing I love about these examples is you're not going to see them on Instagram, right? I think they... They truly represent like this humility, this unity, this posture that Paul is talking about. And what I love is that as people are watching, it's winsome. Like this posture of doing mission and life in this way that's relational, like other people notice and, and they want to respond. It's a tra- they want to see like, who is this God that you're talking about? Like, who is this Jesus that you have made the center of your life? Why are you doing things in such a countercultural way? I want to know more because I see some of them here. Some of them are you. Like, some of you people in our church have responded to seeing God in this way, the nature of God through the church, and are now doing the same thing. But we don't, we don't just do all this, right? We don't do mission. We don't live relationally to be like Jesus just so that we can be good people just so that we can be united, right, and avoid strife. Um, There's plenty of other people who are united and and doing things for other causes, and a lot of them are even ungodly, right? Um, The mission, so why do we do it? The mission didn't end at the cross. If we look at the last part of this passage here, verse 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The paradigm of the cross results in a triumphant victory. This day in the future when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, will see Jesus as Lord. So if you don't see him right now, if you don't see Jesus as Lord, if you don't see the fact that our God, divine as a servant, is triumphant, that he is God and Lord, someday you will, and so will everyone else. One day the living and the dead will all give Jesus the honor that he's due. It's kind of cool what he's doing here. Um, again, so this, this passage, like verses 5 through 11, is, is considered to be like a hymn um, or a poem, right? We're not sure if Paul wrote it himself or if somebody else wrote it and he's referencing it, but it's just to really set up who Christ is, and, and in it he quotes Isaiah 45, 
So let's look at Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23. Uh, It says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. You see the, how this is parallel here? To paraphrase, uh, theologian N.T. Wright says, The God who would not share his glory with anyone else has shared it with Jesus. This is the fulfillment of the mission of God. This vision of, this, of, of Jesus being triumphant, give, being given the name that is above all other names to the glory of God the Father. This is the end. This is the fulfillment. This is Jesus as the focal point, the centerpiece of the mission of God. Can you picture it? Have you ever spent time trying to think about it, like envisioning what that will be like, what it's going to be like to be there and see that, to see Jesus in all his glory? to see everyone finally confess that God, that Jesus is Lord. So we, we do this because, because this is the end that is promised and we get to see it and we get to share in it. Like we get, we get to be there because of the work of Christ, right? And so now this, this dual reality that we have as, as believers, like we live in the already but not yet. Like Christ's work is finished and completed and we know about this day that is to come. We get to envision it and we want to be excited about it. And it gives us the ability to live here and now on mission in relationship with one another in a way that has a completely different perspective than anyone would expect. It allows us to have different values like unity and humility, unlike that of our time because of what we know about the end. And, and we share this love and this hope with other people because we want them to confess Jesus is King now. We want them to share in that with us on that day. So uh, we go to communion, remembering that Christ came to us. We remember that God, came, Jesus, God, came unified with the Father to reveal, in humility, to reveal the true nature of God so that one day we could be restored to Him, so one day that we could feast with Him. Uh, if you're new to Soma, the way you take communion is you come down the center aisles, Tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. There's extra stations in the back and in the balcony. There's also gluten-free in the balcony. Um, if you are not trusting in Christ, if you are not a believer, we ask that you simply stay in your seat um, and, and think about what would it be like to trust a God like this? What would it be like to trust a God, Jesus, who is a servant, who gave so much of himself so that I could be restored to him? Let's pray. Jesus, as we, um, as we anticipate Christmas, as we're reminded of the fact that you came, we're just so thankful for the way in which you did it. Uh, we're thankful that you were obedient to the will of the Father, that you didn't use this as an opportunity for yourself, that you did